So today, uh, Alison Hurft, our manager of our consumer decision-making program, is talking to Gemma Whiten, Director of Marketing and Digital at EcoStore, about her recent trip to the Sustainable Brands Conference in Korea. Thank you so much for having a chat with us today about your highlights and your thoughts and, and sort of takeaways from being at Sustainable Brands in Korea. I'm just fascinated to hear, and I think it'd be really interesting for our members to hear that the big trends, yes, um, yes. what's really stuck in your mind as well as what it means for, for us in New Zealand, whether we're currently working in, with uh, Asian markets or looking to do that. So maybe just a, a start off with uh, what were your highlights? Yeah, it was a fantastic conference to go to. I think sustainable brands do a brilliant job. And I think it's as much about the people that they get as it is obviously about the conversations and the presentations on the day. So I think it was great, first of all, to see a really quite global audience. So there were people from across Europe, from the UK, uh, from across Asia, of course, but also quite a heavy New Zealand contingent as well. And I think to see um, brands and businesses from big to small, a lot of startups um, and businesses um, that are, you know, really in the sustainability space and those that are learning more about sustainability as well. So very good. And I think one of the, the things that I liked most about the conference that I really enjoyed um, we know there were some massive challenges in sustainability and in climate and in the environment. And I think too often you can go to conferences and meetings and you almost feel like you need a tissue. You know, there's a, you come out with even greater climate anxiety than what you went in with. Um, and, you know, there is a scary reality and I think the people at those kinds of conferences are aware of that. But what I liked about Sustainable Brands Korea was that they were really focused on all of the fantastic examples of businesses that are doing good. Um, it made you aware of the actions that individuals and businesses are taking. So it felt like it was very action orientated and really talking around the inspiring things happening in the space rather than too much of a focus on the, you know, the sad and difficult realities and the doom and gloom. So I think that was, that was excellent. Um, in terms of highlights, I think that two of the businesses that were really interesting was IKEA and TerraCycle. And I can talk about those if you like. But uh, I think then also there was just a, a very interesting space that got a lot of attention as well about alternate meat. So, you know, non-animal non meat alternatives, which got a lot of buzz as well. It's really good to come out of it feeling like you've got an idea of what brands and businesses can do. Mm. Um, and it's sort of a, a plan for the future and very constructive. Uh, what were sort of the main things that, that came out of it that's guidance or ideas on what yeah, businesses sure. can do? So I think two, two of the things, and they were, they were things that I really talked about as well, I think were key parts of the circularity session, but actually more broadly, was collaboration. So, you know, there is huge collaboration, there's huge power in collaboration. And so, you know, if we're going to take actions at speed and at scale, then collaboration is absolutely essential. So collaboration between businesses, between, but also between businesses, government and consumers. And I think that was a theme that came out across uh, the day. And you could see it in practice happening. And there's been, you know, so many different connects and things since, which is great. 
I think then there was um, a good amount of discussion within the circular uh, sessions, but also outside of that, around this key idea that waste has value. You know, that too long we have been, through linear thinking, taking, making, and wasting, and that actually there is, one of the points I was making is there's huge business opportunity in associating, of course, value with waste. But I think there was some really good discussions around it, but also good examples of that as well, which was really neat. And then probably the final point was these kinds of things are going to require change. Change for businesses, but change in consumer behavior. And that you know, there is an importance in understanding our consumers, understanding how we can help them change their behaviors and their expectations, and how we can make the solutions that we are developing better for both businesses, consumers, and the planet. So I think there was a really good chat around consumers as well. Great, thank you. Uh, were there any trends on where action is happening at pace or where there's um, quite a big shift in movement? Yeah, so I think the, the foods one was really interesting. So talking about Wonder Burgers, uh, talking about various different companies, and um, there was a guy that spoke from Hong Kong, and that, you know, he was showing shots of whole shells, which looks like the meat aisle, but actually not a single thing in there, although it looks like meat, it tastes like meat and all the rest of it, all of it is from alternate plant sources or grown protein. Uh, there was also a business that was uh, creating essentially egg proteins, egg white proteins, without eggs, I'm sorry, without eggs or chickens, actually. Um, <laughs> and I think that that was a space that you could see there was a recognition of the challenges and the impact on the environment that growing meat in traditional manners is having, and the need to explore alternate sources, and that businesses have done that already and are already in supermarkets, are already in the mainstream, and are selling incredibly well. So I thought that was um, very exciting and very interesting. And what do you think it means for New Zealand businesses that are either already operating in Asian markets or looking to start operating in them? I think that there's a real optimism in the space around businesses that are providing alternate product and products and services more sustainable and responsible ones. So consumers are perhaps a little earlier in the journey in understanding the space of sustainability and climate, but actually there's a real optimism around an interest in different ways of doing business and different solutions. So I think that optimism is really neat to see and a real openness to it, I suppose, as well. So trying different products, trying, like we were talking about our refills, trying our refill stations, those sorts of things that will require a little bit of change for consumers and different behavior. And are there any um, ongoing connections that you think would be between, whether it's Korea and New Zealand or other uh, conference attendees and, and New Zealand that you think we can keep our eyes out for? Yeah, I think 
Terra Cycle is definitely one to watch. So Terra Cycle were really interesting to chat to. I think a lot of people are really aware of the great work that they are doing, but they have incredible knowledge in the science and R&D side of things. You know, how do we uh, recycle and get rid of um, or better use, reuse products that we've got, um, which is great, already out there. And they also have a very good understanding of businesses. So they're one of those groups and businesses that have a foot in either world, you know, the R&D science side of things and the business world. And I think that makes them really quite interesting. And IKEA, IKEA was fantastic. So IKEA is going to be coming to New Zealand, as I think most people are aware, but they have a really interesting approach to the space of sustainability. I mean, it's kind of core in who they are, how they've designed their products, how they run their business. Uh, they are probably some of now the greenest, most responsible retail sites across the globe. So, you know, hopefully that's something that they'll be looking to do in New Zealand as well. But I like as well, they have a real community angle to what they do. So engaging the local community um, and bringing community into discussions and the way they set up their businesses, but also creating spaces that aren't just a store, but are genuine spaces for the community. So I think that will be a really interesting one to watch. Um, and then I think just this alternate meat space, I think is a really interesting one for New Zealand businesses to look at because for a variety of different reasons, Asian markets, I think, are actually going to be leading this space. Right. Uh, they're going to be leading it for religious reasons, but also for reasons such as the, the, the flu, the swine flu that's going through China, that sort of thing. So it's going to mean that there is a greater need and demand for these types of products in Asia that I think New Zealand businesses can really learn from. And then in the space of plastics, it was really TerraCycle. TerraCycle and really understanding how we can really add value to our waste, but how we can also really do something with that waste rather than sticking in into overwhelmed waste and recycling systems. Yeah, I guess the, the evolution where waste is not waste anymore, it's all the fuel stock of some sort. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's a fantastic quote from uh, Michael Brangout that I love about this. So from cradle to cradle. So we don't have a waste problem. We have a materials in the wrong place problem. And I, I think you've probably heard that before, but it's, it's such a relevant quote because, you know, if we stop that waste from going into the wrong place, so, you know, into our overwhelmed waste and recycling systems, and bring them back to us, to manufacturers, to, to companies that can do really neat things with it. Well, then we are creating value out of that, and that's a great business opportunity. And we're obviously then doing the right thing in terms of taking pressure off an overwhelmed waste and recycling system and making sure that that plastic doesn't end up as waste. Yep, yep. And really being smart about it. It's don't have to stop doing everything, but we just need to get better at doing it right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, that, that was quite some of the connects that I was trying to make. I think part of the challenges is in the circular space. We are so good at creating streamlined, cost efficient 
linear systems. We are very, very good as industries and countries of getting products made, getting them into stores, getting them out to consumers, but we are not well-practiced and very efficient at then getting it back and closing that loop. And that's, it's that back half of the circular system that I think businesses and groups in New Zealand need to come together on and collaborate such that we're creating very efficient, cost-effective circular systems, not just very efficient, cost-effective linear systems. Yep. Mm. And how about uh, industries that were present there? I, I remember when I went to the Detroit Sustainable Brands, there was uh, lo lots of consumer goods or consumer-facing companies, but also quite a lot of postal and uh, logistics companies there too, and who because there's so much movement in the supply chain um, and value chain. But um, did you see what kind of industry turnout or prominence was there? There were a reasonable number of consumer goods, quite a lot in foods space. There was a good session on housing, homes, communities and spaces which was neat. And there was definitely a session on supply chain. Unfortunately, it was at the same time as the good circularity discussion, which is what I was part of. So I missed out on a lot of the supply discussions, which would have been really interesting. Uh, so yes, there was a good contingent around that as well. And then there were sort of airlines, transport, that sort of space as well. And I think that's what makes it so interesting, actually, and maybe you found this in Detroit, is yes, they may be in an industry that is different to your own, but there is so much that we can still learn from different industries and from, you know, every business in different industries takes a different perspective and comes up with different types of solutions to the similar kinds of problems. And so I think there is a lot that we can all learn from each other in that space as well. And again, that comes back to these, you know, collaborative discussions and working with different businesses. Yeah. And I guess people are connected in indirect ways sometimes that they forget about quite easily. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But the New Zealand community and network, you know, is strong anywhere. And certainly the uh, Lewis Patterson is who uh, ran the, the conference and he's a Kiwi actually, but he spent most of his working life and career. So it, it actually felt like a sort of almost joint Korean-New Zealand conference, which is really nice. Yeah. Now, he was at Detroit too, and he was a really good connector uh, with everybody there. So he's, he's very, very busy in that space. Yes. Uh, what about, I guess, anything interesting in Seoul that you went to see um, or in, in Korea that, uh, with whether it's a community initiative or yeah, local changes that would be... Um, that were really interesting? Probably two, two things. So when I go to any markets, I always make sure I meet with consumers and talk to consumers. And I think what was really interesting was hearing about this incredible drive for families to connect with nature. So everyone was talking about camping and getting out of the cities for the weekend getting into nature. And I think it was just this, this sort of deep-seated desire to, even though people live a busy city life, 
to create a greater connection with nature. And you know, we, maybe we take it a little bit for granted in New Zealand. We're very, very fortunate that even in the cities, we have a reasonably good connect with nature. We have, you know, in Auckland, we have the harbour, we have the beaches, we have bush, we have waitakeries. You know, we have so many places that are almost an inherent part of the city. Whereas in across Asian cities, some of them are very big and, you know, very concrete and they live in, you know, apartment buildings and things. So I think it was really neat to hear this deep-seated desire to create a connection to nature. I think the second thing that was quite interesting was uh, there is a real growth in organic grocery stores and visiting a few of them they were beautiful you know really incredible beautiful ingredients and products lovely fruit and vegetables beautifully presented you know rice and ingredients and meat and all the rest of it and i just think that's when we start to see real mass change in this space you know, we're bringing what has been in the past, and particularly in Asia, a more niche space, this really sort of organic eco space, really into the mainstream because all of a sudden some of the higher end and more accessible places are doing organics and sustainable products, and it's a real focus, and it makes it a really enjoyable shopping experience. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan on shopping, but I have to say those stores were beautiful. Uh, and you get, <laughs> you get really quite inspired. Um, I was lucky I wasn't staying for too long, otherwise I, bought, I would have bought far too many products. So, so you know, it is in the space of food. And I think what it does is in buying organics and sustainable food, it makes people stop and think about the rest of their products as well and the way they're living their life. And so to see that kind of growth in Seoul was great because I think it shows that there's just that growth in this awareness and thinking in this space as well. Yeah. And I guess that, that enhances the connection with nature because if people are thinking more about the source of their food, what nutrients went into growing it, and there were, or there were people involved in growing that in water, that they're bringing an idea about nature into their homes through their, their so shopping true. in that way. Yeah. So true. So true. Absolutely. And so there's just this inherent connection with nature through, yeah, the actions and also the products that they buy, which is really nice. Great. Um, well, that's all the questions from me. Is there anything else uh, you just loved that really excited you or something else you just really would love to tell um, everybody about? I think the only thing is the excitement that talking about circular economy and circular systems can create. Because I think that so many businesses recognize that there are issues, recognize that they want to make a change and they want to do things in a more responsible manner, but they don't quite know how. And this whole um, not knowing how to start means that they don't start. Mm. And I think there is a simplicity in circular principles that people just kind of go, oh, of course. Oh, that makes, that makes real sense. And what it does is it starts to turn desire for action or understanding the need for action into them being able to create real action. It gives them almost a way of creating solutions 
And so I think that the opportunities of circular thinking within businesses is, of course, huge, as we know, but creates a real buzz and excitement. I see what you mean. I think there's that um, the human nature is to just be relieved that a solution is being offered to a problem people hadn't been able to articulate well before, but they hear a solution think, actually, that's what I've, where have you been? Where's this been? This will really help us. What a relief. So, yeah. And it's not too complicated. Like sometimes they think, gosh, that's so simple. Oh, yeah, of course. So like you say, it's something they haven't necessarily been able to articulate, but now they perhaps can. Hmm. Yeah. Look, thank you so much for your time. We just need to get sustainable brands to New Zealand, I think. Yeah, we do. Well, I'm sure Lewis is on the case already. Yeah. It was interesting talking to some of the European um, people that had attended. They did say that they were often getting more out of the Asian ones than they were out of the European ones. So I don't know whether that's because it's sort of, it's a space that's just starting to get some momentum. So it's got really fresh, different ideas and has a real buzz and energy about it. So I think there's quite a lot of anticipation for the Yokohama one. I think it's set to be pretty impressive. Okay, thanks so much. Great to talk with you. Kia ora everyone. I'm Jay at SBC and I'm here today with Mr. Sunny Verghese, CEO of Olam International and Chair of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. Thank you for joining us today, Sunny, for our podcast. Um, I'll jump straight into it and talk a little bit about WBCSD. So what we hear from our members is one of the things that they value is insight on global issues and what's happening on a worldwide scale. So I'd be interested to know from you what are some of the global issues you're hearing about at WBCSD that you think SBC members would be uh, interested in or needing to pay attention to? Yeah. So as you know, our vision is to make sure that the 9.5 billion people who live on this planet who will live on this planet by 2050 or live well within the planetary boundaries. And our mission is to help uh, the private sector to become more sustainable and the more sustainable companies to see that they become more successful. Mm-hmm. And we feel that uh, if we achieve systems transformation mm-hmm. in four meta systems, uh, then we would achieve this goal. Uh, the first thing that we are trying to change as a system is the climate and energy system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and therefore, climate emergency mm-hmm. for us is one big cross-cutting global issue and impacts everybody. The second is uh, the circular economy, so which is all about waste and recycling. The third is about uh, urban uh, solutions and urban mobility, so as we urbanize more. Uh, and the fourth is about food and nature. Mm-hmm. How do we produce food on a more sustainable basis mm. to feed a growing population of nine and a half billion people. Mm. And we feel that there are two keys that will unlock uh, the system transformation in these four areas, which are then the two remaining programs that we run. One is on how to redefine value, because the way we measure mm. and report value mm. uh, today is not fit for purpose. Uh, so we focus uh, inordinately on financial and economic capital and uh, not all of the other things that create long-term value. Uh, so how do you look at natural capital and social capital and human capital and intellectual capital and intangible capital, mm-hmm. which all create strategic assets that drive long-term value. Mm-hmm. So we have a large program on helping companies redefine what they measure 
mm. for success and how they measure value. And the final program is on people. It's broadly looking at uh, the issues about future of work, automation, robotics, and the advanced technologies and disruptive technologies that are out there. And what will be the role of companies? So if you only say that, okay, because of adopting AI or digitalization of your business, you dramatically improve productivity, but it's come at the cost of laying off thousands of people. Uh, how do you get that uh, transition right? Mm -hmm. So to give you an example of my own company, mm -hmm. we process cashew in Africa, for example. Mm -hmm. And we needed about six workers for every bag of cashew that we process. Mm -hmm. Each bag of cashew is about 80 kilos. And through adopting technology, etc., we've been able to reduce the number of workers we need to process a bag of cashew from six to roughly one mm. worker, mm -hmm. which means now five workers are redundant. Mm. Most of these workers are women workers. Mm. They have no alternative forms of livelihood. Mm. And the government does not have a social welfare net or a retraining cap capacity to retrain them for jobs of the new economy. So while we can claim to our shareholders we have dramatically improved profitability and productivity by reducing the number of workers, but we're going to see all of them being impacted in terms of their livelihoods. Mm. So the role and responsibility of companies in systems where governments do not have a safety net, cannot provide the retooling and reskilling, you have a continuing obligation to find roles for those displaced workers. So in our case, we made them our outgrowers to grow cashew for us, or you make them part of your supplier vendor network so that you train them on how to become small micro-entrepreneurs and manage their own business. Uh, or as you're expanding your capacity and growing, you redeploy them in those expanded facilities. So these are the six programs that we are engaged in, and we think all of these programs are cross-cutting in terms of doesn't matter which sector you are in, mm -hmm. these programs will impact you. Mm. And it does not matter which country you are from, mm. these programs will impact you mm -hmm. wherever you live. Mm -hmm. And uh, we feel these uh, six programs together will address those three major challenges that we are facing, mm -hmm. which is the climate emergency challenge, the collapse of biodiversity, mm. and uh, social inequality, mm -hmm. which is rising. And as a result, you can see all the climate strikes, and you can see the uh, riots that we are seeing in many countries mm. where people are dissatisfied with uh, the social uh, or uh, the job or unemployment situation or mm. Mm. displacement of jobs. So I think uh, this will address all of that. Mm. I'm really pleased to hear you put people at the focus of so much of what you do because that's what I think yes. people sometimes forget that within sustainability and it's just that's right yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, what it's yeah. all about really it's all isn't about. it <laughs> <laughs> thank you um speaking of people actually I'm quite interested to hear about your thoughts on collaboration because I was reading a blog where you talked about how the SDGs can't be achieved by individual yes, companies yes. alone and I know our members are really interested in collaborating with one another and I wondered at a global level where have you seen that turning up and yeah. Where have you seen it work well that we could learn from? So firstly, for me, it was a bit of a miracle that 195 countries got together and agreed on the SDGs. Mm -hmm. you know, That's very true. 17, <laughs> 17 goals and 169 sub-targets and 240 metrics. And mm. that is because you can't really argue against them. Mm. You know, all of those SDGs about eliminating poverty or zero hunger or uh, 
health and well-being or quality education or gender diversity and so on and so forth. Uh, and that is the reason I think why the countries could agree because they were all really what we would all aspire to be part of a collective future. Mm -hmm. So I think that big piece has been done that we understand what kind of shared future we want. Mm. That is a big, big deal. But then the question is, okay, we are now five years into the SDGs. We got now 10 years left. We had to achieve this in 2030. But uh, progress is patchy and hasn't uh, uh, developed the way we expected it to develop. So if you take a five-year uh, progress report, we are way behind mm -hmm. achieving those goals and targets. Mm. So really the question in my mind is uh, what inhibits and what are the impediments to mm. achieving these goals by 2030? So for me, I think change has to happen at multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And we can only achieve the SDGs if, A, firstly, a movement and a change has to happen at the individual level. Mm -hmm. We have to be the change that we want to see in others. So we have to role model ourselves in terms of understanding our footprints, carbon or water or waste, and taking concrete actions to change in that regard by making small shifts in our behavior. Mm -hmm. It might be uh, stopping to shave with the tap running or mm. brush your teeth with the tap. Mm -hmm. Some very specific individual action mm -hmm. that you take to change mm -hmm. after you understand what your footprint is. Mm. Second is our companies will have to change. Mm -hmm. So if you're leaders of our companies and the BCSD members in New Zealand and the WBCSD members, the leaders who are part of these movements have to set the pace and tone in making sure that the companies make the transition mm. to producing more with less resources mm. and therefore becoming more sustainable. Third is even if you change individually and the companies change, but uh, our sector is still backwards. So if Air New Zealand is a good actor, but the rest of the aviation industry are poor actors, you're not going to make any dent or move the needle. Mm. So how do you come together on a sectoral basis? Mm. Uh, the pharma sector, the oil and gas sector, the food and agribusiness sector, the aviation sector, come together as a sector and develop a sectoral roadmap of how you can transition each of these sectors into a sustainable future. Uh, fourth, uh, I think uh, civil society, NGOs, and private sector partnerships have to happen. So civil society looks at private sector as evil. Private sector looks to civil society, NGOs as troublemakers. And they never get together and uh, collaborate. So I think we need that unusual collaboration between private sector and public sector, private-private, public-private partnerships to affect change. We also need then governments and policymakers to provide an enabling policy environment. So firstly, they have to make uh, mandatory disclosures of footprints. Mm -hmm. So tell every company has to, in addition to reporting its profit and loss and balance sheet and cash flow statements annually, audited. Mm -hmm. You have to do the same for your carbon footprint, water mm -hmm. footprint, waste footprint. Mm -hmm. You have to get it externally verified and validated. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you have to give out science-based targets on how you're going to reduce it over time. Thirdly, you have to incentivize and disincentivize the right behaviors to make the change. So a carbon tax has to be part of that equation. So government and policymakers have to come to the party. And finally, uh, innovators and scientists and researchers and academic institutions have to come up with the innovation breakthroughs that mm -hmm. are required for us to transition into a more sustainable pathway 
mm. by helping us do more with less. Mm. And that is why I believe that this can only happen, otherwise it will remain goals, uh, laudable goals. None of us can dispute or disagree with them. But we keep beating our chests as to why we are not able to make, uh, because we have to create a movement. The movement has to happen at all these levels, at the individual level, at the company level, at the sector level, at the government policymakers level, at civil society, NGO level, mm. community level and at uh, the research and innovation level. Mm, mm, from the micro to the macro, from the micro all needs to, to shift. Yes, yeah, yes, you're yes. absolutely right. Really interesting. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk to you a bit about agriculture as yes. well, because it's a major industry in New Zealand, and I know Olam's one of the biggest agribusinesses. Yeah. And switching hats a little bit here and thinking about your role as group CEO of yeah. Olam, I'd be interested to know what do you see of the opportunities for positive change in this sector? Yeah. So firstly, I believe that the food and agricultural system is broken globally because we account for 25% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, 71% of its freshwater withdrawals. We are responsible for almost 70, 75% of the world's biodiversity loss over time. And yet we have 817 million people going to bed hungry every day, more than 2 billion people suffering from micronutrient deficiencies, 1.8, 1.9 billion people overweight obese, about uh, 55 million, uh, so 151 million children stunted and 55 million children wasted. So obviously it's not working. Uh, so how do we help uh, produce more food, feed and fiber that a growing population estimated to be 9.5 billion people will need by 2050 on a sustainable basis without destroying the planet? So I think uh, we need to do five or six things. The first is we need to transform agriculture uh, into in a more sustainable way. So how do you produce more food with less carbon, more food with less water, more food with less waste, or fiber, or feed, or whatever else we are producing? And there are many examples I can give you that OLAM is doing in, in terms of achieving this objective. Mm-hmm. So by improving the solid content in our onions in California, we have been able to reduce the land that we need to cultivate those onions for feeding our four factories by about 7,500 hectares. Mm -hmm. We have uh, saved about 65 million cubic meters of water, Mm -hmm. and we have saved the company $100 million. So this is an example of transforming the way you produce to use less resources. Uh, and that helps you to become more sustainable. So mm-hmm. that's the first intervention. Second intervention is we have to help people transform the diets into more sustainable diets. Mm. It is not by forcing people to become vegans or vegetarians, but really incentivize behavior that if they are going to be eating more meat, and that is okay, but they should be willing to pay more because the externalities and the environmental footprint in producing that is much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third pathway is we have to have a more equitable distribution of value mm-hmm. between the participants. Today, the farmer and the producer gets a disproportionately lower mm-hmm. share of the value, and therefore they are mired in poverty, and it's a travesty of justice. So the people who produce our food are 55% of the people who go to bed hungry every day are the people who are farmers and who produce the food. And about 60% of the world's extremely poor people are farmers. So that's not a sustainable proposition. So that's, I think, the third thing that we need to do. The fourth is we need to reduce food waste and food loss. 
So a third of the food that we produce, estimated at uh, annual value of a trillion US dollars, is wasted. And if you look at the externalities involved in terms of the carbon emissions and the water use and the fertilizer use and all of the resources that have gone to producing the food that you waste while 817 million people are going to bed hungry, mm. that is not a sustainable proposition. Mm. So you need to make sure you change these four things mm. in terms of direct pathways for transforming agriculture and food mm. systems. And then the three indirect pathways for me includes having more traceability and transparency in your supply chain where you're buying from, who you're buying from, and then tracking and tracing the journey of the raw material or the product mm -hmm. all the way from the farm gate to the consumer. So providing a supply chain provenance is key uh, as another pathway. Innovation is also a big piece, mm -hmm. uh, improving water usage efficiencies and reducing emissions. And, and then financial uh, innovation to get more money into sustainable agricultural and food production systems mm -hmm. is the other pathway. So I would say there are four direct pathways in my mind, three enabling pathways in my mind, mm -hmm. which are required. And at OLAM, we try and follow these pathways mm -hmm. to help and enable this transition. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we can't do it ourselves, mm -hmm. but we can be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. Which comes back to collaboration again, Which comes back it? to collaboration, yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, final question for you. I wanted to chat to you a little bit about how you've put sustainability at the heart of Olam's strategy. And I'm interested to know how connecting with WBCSD has allowed you to sort of take that next step in mainstreaming yeah. sustainability within Olam. Yes. So firstly, at Olam, we have put sustainability at the heart of our business for a variety of reasons. Uh, first, we simply believe it's the right thing to do. Uh, and for all the reasons that I mentioned, uh, that is uh, the key driver. But we also believe that building a sustainable business and doing good will also allow us to do well. Uh, a, by reducing our cost of equity and therefore uh, being able to generate much higher value for our future cash flows because it is discounted at a lower cost of capital. Secondly, we can reduce our borrowing cost, which again improves our value and profitability. Third, because we are seen as a low ESG risk company and a high ESG orientated company, mm -hmm. uh, we can protect our cash flows and not put those cash flows at risk and we can amplify and grow those cash flows. Mm -hmm. So the second reason is that we have enough evidence to establish that doing good will also allow us to do well. The third uh, reason for us is we have turned this into a comparative and a competitive advantage. Mm. So we launched something called OLAM at source last year, a bit like the Intel Inside concept. So we are saying if you buy your raw materials or ingredients, food and agriculture raw materials and ingredients from us, uh, we will help you track and trace the journey of the raw materials that you buy right from the farm gate to your factory gate and all the way to the consumer by providing you information on 12 sustainability topics, 90 key metrics and indicators on a digitally enabled dashboard, uh, which allows us to differentiate our commodity business and decommoditize it, get some pricing power, get a larger share of our customer's wallet, and get more stickiness with our customer. So the third reason we're doing it is because it's a competitive mm -hmm. advantage as well. Mm -hmm. 
And finally, a very important reason is that we believe by putting sustainability at the heart of our business, we are able to inspire our uh, pop employee population. Because we think there's a big difference between having satisfied employees, engaged employees, and uh, inspired employees. Mm. The holy grail for me as a leader is to try and make more and more of our employees as inspired, truly inspired. They want to come to work and they walk on the balls of the feet because they feel that what they're doing will change themselves, the company, the sector, probably the world. And therefore, there is a, it becomes their cause. There is a problem to solve. They're part of solving their problem. And it's not just about a job. Mm. Uh, and that is the other main reason that mm -hmm. uh, we have put sustainability at the heart of our business. Well, that's brilliant. And I'm imagining that your link um, with WBCSD and your chairmanship yes. is definitely boosted. Yes. yes. So being a part of, of WBCSD, we are able to get access to sharing learnings and experiences of 200 companies uh, that have been down this path and this journey, faced many challenges and impediments, and worked at coming up with creative pathways and solutions to them so we can share and learn from them. Mm. Secondly, we can benchmark uh, mm. every year how we compare with these exemplar companies who mm. have you know, been on this journey. Uh, and in a non-evaluative way and in a, in a safe way, we know where we stand. Uh, it is not a ranking that's out there, but we know exactly where we stand. And there's a private discussion with the WBCSD on where you stand against all the other companies. Mm -hmm. There's not only the 200 WBCSD companies that they benchmark, mm -hmm. they do about uh, an evaluation of more than 800 companies. And they mm -hmm. tell you where you stand vis-a-vis -vis those 800 companies, where you stand vis-a-vis your sector and mm -hmm. everything else. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. is the second thing. And third, you're then part of this movement, movement to change uh, as a part of a coalition and a collaboration to change. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Sunny. And I think that really resonates with the things that our members, members value about being part of WBCSD too, that some of that benchmarking and um, connection to shared knowledge. So thank you so much for your time thank today. Thank you. And I'm delighted that there's a, such an active BCSD in New yes. Zealand with uh, yeah. so many members. So fantastic and congratulations. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Enjoy the rest of your time in New Zealand. Thank you. Thank you very much.